This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. More than ever, I am super selective on how I spend my time, whether it's choosing which emails to read or how I get my continuing ed units. I want value for my time and efforts. I'm Shar Beauchart, and I bet you can relate. So when I say I get my CEUs from SpeechTherapyPD.com, just know their speech-language videos and pod courses are practical and totally worth it. And right now, you have the exclusive opportunity to pay less for the subscription than I I did. <laughs> okay? Memorize this discount code. It's SHAR, C-H-A-R. Just go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, subscribe, and at checkout, type in what? SHAR, C-H-A-R. You get a $10 discount for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Do it now. It doesn't take long. SpeechTherapyPD.com. You and your speech kids will be glad you did. It's time well spent. Welcome to The Speech Link. I'm your host, Shar Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Are you serving your social language kids' needs? Are you serving them efficiently and effectively? In my opinion, it takes time and much experience to successfully meet our kids' social language needs. And most definitely, there's a learning curve when addressing social language assessment, formal and informal, interpreting and teasing out the specifics to work on, and collaborating meaningfully and consistently with teachers and parents. Well, I'm happy to tell you that as you listen over the next hour, you are going to learn how to do all of those things and more. Oh, I hope you have a big pad of paper this time. Hold on. Here we go. Today, my guest is Heidi Britz. She received her master's in communicative disorders from the University of Central Florida. She's an experienced speech-language pathologist of over 25 years and has worked throughout Florida, California, and Georgia. Her experience ranges from pediatric hospitals with babies in the NICU to adults with developmental disabilities and all ages in between in the public schools and private practice. Currently, in addition to being an SLP in the Forsyth County Schools in Georgia, she's the proud owner of her private practice called Shine Speech Language Therapy. Her specialty? Social language. Heidi is the creator of social language materials for the SLP and has an online store, smartmouthslp.com, and her materials are also on Teachers Pay Teachers and Pinterest. Heidi? Thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on how to support social language competency in our elementary-aged kids. I can't wait. Welcome to the Speech Link, Heidi. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here and get a chance to speak with you about social language, which is near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. Great. Me too. Well, we are talking about kids with social language impairments. What does that look like in our elementary-aged kids? Well, I'm so glad you asked because it can look a lot of different ways depending on who is looking. Um, what we tend to see in the public schools are a variety of students with social language impairments. And that doesn't always just mean autism. And I think people necessarily um, don't necessarily think to go beyond that because that's more prevalent in a lot of people's minds when you think of social language is that it's a deficit that occurs with autism. But mm -hmm. in addition to those friends, um, we also see students who have social anxiety, which impacts their ability to interact with other people. We see students who have um, processing issues, students with sensory issues, um, mm -hmm. kids who just haven't been exposed to a lot of great social language models for whatever reason um, are coming into the school and really struggling. And if I can even get on my soapbox for a tiny minute, I really okay. feel like technology is impacting our students as well as far as social language impairments. Oh, oh, I would love to hear more about that. But <laughs> before we move into that, because that sounds like that sounds like a major topic. If you would, most of us are kind of, quotes, used to working with, you know, I'm going to say the garden variety, if there is such a thing, receptive and expressive language impairments. 
you know, kids with receptive expressive language difficulties. And how does that compare the social language issues and impairments? Absolutely. Um, And there can be overlap with expressive and receptive language, more of the garden variety. But when I look at my students with social language impairments, I love Michelle Garcia Winner's very um, to the heart of it definition. It's difficulty sharing space with other people. That's your bottom line. So this could be social proximity or kids who don't share space well. They're basically sitting in your lap or they're across the room facing the wall when they're talking to you. They're not reading social cues because they haven't oriented. Um, It could also be our kids who are blurters, kids that don't have a social filter and say the first thing that comes to their mind and it gets them in trouble quite often. The problem we run into as well is that our students with social language impairments don't really understand why people get upset sometimes when they say what they say. So helping them understand other people's thoughts and feelings as well as their own, that perspective shift is an area that we work on quite a bit with social language as well. Um, In addition, as our kids get older, there's so many social language skills that are already embedded in the core taking perspective of another culture, being able to predict what's going to happen in a story. As our kids get older, these skills get more difficult and they really start to struggle third grade and above. We we tend to see that a little bit more. Okay. Um, So those are several of the areas that I see my students having challenges in. Char Beauchard here. True story. I just hung up the phone with an SLP that had attended an on-site seminar. She said she loved the seminar, but she forgot to fill out her ASHA participant form. Sounds easy enough, huh? Uh Uh-uh. The seminar was three months ago, and all the paperwork had been submitted, and ASHA doesn't take late forms. So I said, Linda, you have to file an appeal with ASHA. And she said, this is a nightmare. I drove two hours to get there, two hours to get home, and now I have to file an appeal. I felt for her. And then I said, Linda, have you ever heard of SpeechTherapyPD.com? She said, no. I said, just get your CEUs online, girl. That's what I do. You don't have to leave home. They have over 500 hours of video, a huge variety of topics for SLPs that work with children and adults. And if you don't want to watch a video, then listen to the pod courses and get your CEUs that way. Then she said, they're pretty expensive, right? I said, uh, no, their plans start at $89 a year for heaven's sake. And then I said, do you want the icing on the cake? SpeechTherapyPD.com has scheduled a CEU cruise next summer to Italy and Greece. Woohoo! She said, okay, I'm looking them up right now. And so should you. SpeechTherapyPD.com. Check them out. Tell your friends. You'll be glad you did. So walk us through, because I know that you kind of have to plan, but I want to get into therapy. Walk us through a a typical example. Well, if I can backtrack just a little bit, especially in the schools, sometimes the referral process for an evaluation gets a bit stymied because I'll have teachers say to me, well, they're making straight A's, but they're disrupting the class all day. So they're not really sure whether to refer or not. But I think a social impact is just as important as an academic impact. So mm-hmm. to kind of give you that background knowledge to fill in. And then as we move through the RTI process in our state and get to evaluation, then you you hit another little bump in the road because there's not a lot of great standardized assessments that tap into social language deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find there's a lot more informal assessment that gives me great information in addition to just general communication standardized scores. And I think you really have to have both to do a good assessment. Yes. Um, And I think as my kids get a little bit older, I would say second grade and above, I want them to give me some self-assessment too. What do they think they're good at? What do they see themselves struggling, struggling with? And a lot of my students on that social language spectrum don't have great self-awareness and don't really realize the impact that these weaknesses are having. So I think that's where you have to start first. And then moving into therapy, um, it can't just be the SLP 
I know we want to put on our cape and fix everybody. That's our heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it cannot just be us for it to be effective for our students. So I think getting buy-in from your administration, from your families, um, from peer mentors within the classroom, because we really want our kids to have another student to mentor or partner with, not just an adult. Um, a lot of my students with social language are great with adults because we fill in the gaps for them, but they struggle with their peers. So I think all of those people on the page, your occupational therapist, your counselor, I mean, really anybody in the school needs to be part of the team to support your child. Hmm. And that complicates things, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I mean, you have to all get together. You all have to kind of be on the same page with the child and what's going on and what needs to be done. Any suggestions for all of that? Well, I think letting people know, and, and I hate to say this a little bit because I know everyone has huge caseloads and there's only so much time, but letting your team within your school know that you're a resource, I think, is a great opportunity to educate about social language. Um, social language research has really only come about since probably the 80s, and there are a lot of people outside of the speech pathology community in the school that aren't familiar with it. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity for us to say, hey, let me share this information with you. Let me show you how I can make your job easier by partnering with you. So I think if you can mm -hmm. get by in that way, that's huge. You're going to have somebody at least willing to listen um, before they immediately say, no, it's just going to be another thing on my plate. So do you schedule meetings and meet with whom? The teacher, the special ed, to the resource? Absolutely. Um, and I think for, for me, coming into a new school system within the past two years, collaborating with our special ed administration was really key and helping them understand kind of our role and then the bigger role in the school of how to support these students. Um, and to touch on what I had mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of times we just look at academic performance which many of my kids with social language are high academic performers, but they are drowning. And I, I really think we just need to get a broader picture with our communities in the school and outside of the school that we need to be supporting social emotional language as well. And I really think that tide is starting to shift. Mm -hmm. So I will give my teachers visuals to use in the classroom. And we're really lucky at my school. We have um, self-contained programs for students with autism, high-functioning autism. So there's already a ton of visuals and a ton of exposure in our school system. But I know not every school has that as well. Um, so I would say visual support for your teachers giving them resources. I try to find a lot of free resources for them to address different needs. I write social stories for many of the students who aren't on my caseload to address different issues that are coming up and support them outside of an IEP process, which you know takes some time. But I think that's really the goal. If our kids don't need to be in special ed and we can support them with some strategies, why not do that? That's a win for everybody. Yes. Now I need to go back because I am not familiar with the type of visuals you're talking about when you give teachers. Sure, sure. So an example of visuals would be for, um, for some of my students, a visual schedule of their day. Mm -hmm. It may be just picture symbols that show how we're going to move through our day. If there's a special event coming up that might be causing anxiety, for example, a fire drill for several of my, my younger students. They'll perseverate and be very anxious, and you'll see a lot of behaviors because of that. So if we can build it into their schedule visually, prepare them, talk about it, reduce that anxiety, you're not going to have the behaviors that we tend to see when things are sprung on our kids. Um, my students tend to not be super flexible <laughs> with changes. It upsets their day. So giving them any kind of prep with a visual schedule or um, I made a problem solution worksheet for one of uh, my other teachers where they could identify what the problem, the student could identify the problem, what they tried to do to solve it, how they felt before and after, would they know what to do next time, and basically build a cookbook for themselves of, all right, this is what happened. This is how I handled it. 
this is what I've learned from it. And not only for themselves, but as a teaching tool for peers in their class as well. I think that gives them confidence. Um, it gives them a chance to see if they really understood what you were working on and they could explain it to someone else. And then it's just something, a hard copy that can go home so they can talk about it with their family too. That sounds really good. That kind of even sounds like a um, a school therapy plan. You know, I mean, it's going beyond just you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and again, it has to, because if I do this in my therapy room and it's not implemented anywhere else, it's not going to be very effective. That makes total sense. Okay. Let's, let's talk about assessment and formal and informal. What do you use and what do you look for? Well, depending on the age and the cognitive, social cognitive ability of the student, if it's a student who's higher functioning, um, say in general education or in a resource setting, mm-hmm. I'll look at some assessments such as the test of problem solving, um, the social language development test I really like, um, some general, broader communication uh, development tools. So I can look at vocabulary. I can look at syntax because I do want to look at the whole child. Yes. But I think my informal pieces and my observations and checklists give me way more information um, to kind of form a picture of, of where the child is functioning. Um, and some of the things that I love, I love the dual interview from social thinking and Michelle Garcia winner, and I have drank the Kool-Aid. I don't get paid (laughs) from her, but I just love and truly believe in her methodology. It just, it makes so much sense. And I see it work every day with my students. Yes. You and hundreds, if not thousands of other SLPs. Yes, absolutely. Yes. There's a lot of respect and admiration for, for Michelle out there and what she's done. I think for me, I was introduced to her methodology 15 years ago by another SLP. And when I saw the lights come on with my kids, how she explained things, I was like, there's, there's more I need to learn about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I understand. But with her, with her dual assessment, it's a really nice um, piece of information because you use pictures, you use um, conversational skills, you use um, context of what's going on in your life and the student's life. And it just gives you great insight to those soft social skills that a standardized test is going to miss. You know, I'm sure that there are people that would like to access that. Is it on her website or does she sell it? How do we buy it? Or Yes. If you go to social thinking, I think it's socialthinking.com is their website. Um, there's tons of free information, parent articles, clinician articles, research articles that are fabulous. And her dual interview, there's a link you can look up on there um, to find that information. That's fabulous. Okay. That sounds wonderful. Now, every child is different, but I'm sure that there are some commonalities. You put them on your caseload, correct? A few kids? Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, how do you group your kids? I know this is really specific, but um, sometimes in the schools, you know, you don't have pure groups and you're going to have different ages and different capabilities. You know, are they in a group with other speech language kids or how do you group your kids? Well, you're right. It is very individualized, but I also know that we have to have a practical approach as clinicians. You know, we have Mm -hmm. so many slots in our day. Right. But what I find works best for my students when I first bring them in for social language therapy, I think it's really important that I have either them by themselves or maybe with one other child to break down the skills that they're missing. Okay. Because if they were going to learn them incidentally, they would have learned them in the classroom. They need that direct instruction. So to give them that opportunity to ask questions, to be vulnerable, to, you know, give them a chance to practice and build these skills, for example, turn-taking or topic maintenance or being aware of whole body listening, those basic foundational skills, then I want to see how they implement them with other kids because it's not a real environment to have one-on-one with me. It's great as a start, but that can't be the be-all end-all. And I find a lot of my kids, once we've worked through a lot of those early social concepts, then they're ready to implement them in real time, which is harder, and implement them with other kids which is even harder. So we're kind of layering the onion here. right? Um, And group work is where a lot of my kids struggle. They really struggle sharing space, sharing ideas, turn-taking, giving up control 
in classroom-based activities. So I go there next. I really want to push in and see how they do. Yes. Now, when you're pushing in, are you actually doing a lesson? Are you observing? Are you one-on-one with the child? Somehow you have coordinated this with the teacher. What, what does that look like? Well, I'm lucky enough in my school, I have a time called Fun Friday groups. So my Fun Fridays, I push into all my self-contained classes um, with my students who are working on social language. And we do, um, we're STEM-based schools. So we do a lot of science cooking activities, which are super fun, first of all. Sure. But it really gives me a chance to watch how they interact with one another and what they're doing well with and what we need to still address. And then the teachers give me feedback during the week. Hey, this happened. They did great with this or this happened. And, oh, it was a disaster. So I'm getting feedback from my own self observing from the teachers, from the parents at home giving me input and from my older kids from them as well. How do you think you did with that? Oh, I think I did awesome. And then we can go back and and visit and see if that was true or not. I love it. So you are constantly interacting with parents and teachers and maybe even some of the friends of the of the children. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're out and about. You're not just at the end of the hall pulling kids and doing therapy. No. <laughs> and I don't recommend that. I, I really think being isolated, it doesn't benefit our students. And I don't think it gives our general ed teachers and our uh, resource teachers a chance to see what we do. They're not going to know how to harness our knowledge if they don't, if they don't see us in action. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think they will. Exactly. And I love the whole concept of transfer for the kids, of getting it out of our little room and into their lives. Yes. Well, I think the best place you can, there's three great places to observe social language. I think the cafeteria, the hallway at dismissal and, and start of the daytime when it's like the Wild West. Yes. And then on the, on the playground. I think those three areas really give you a good snapshot of where our kids are struggling. Oh, that's excellent. So are you hanging out or are you just putting a bug in the teacher's ear? Oh, no, I have duties. So I'm I'm in carpool. So I get to see some of my friends come in and out of the building. Okay. Um, and the playground for my kids, and, and it breaks my heart when I see it, especially my little littles. If I go to recess, my friends tend to walk the perimeter of the playground. They're not interacting with their peers. They're kind of hanging close by, but they're not really playing together. So I think that that's a great time for me to be able to see you know, what's going on and are their peers trying to engage them or have they given up? Are they ignoring them? You know, it gives me, it just gives me a really good piece of information of, okay, how can I support them in these less structured times? Because the classroom doesn't really give a whole lot of opportunity for unstructured social time. In this day and age, there's just no downtime. Yeah. Well, classrooms are quite structured. You know, they're trying to fit everything in. Yes. And, um, you know, I know that a lot of times with teachers, classrooms are perceived as quality when they're quiet. Correct. And there's no interacting going on. And maybe sometimes that's good for some of our kids. You know, they, there's probably a relief, but that certainly does help to address the problem. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. In your therapy, and let's take that child that is not a natural at interacting with other children, like on the playground, and he shies away from doing that and does not know either how or have the inclination to interact when people, uh, peers come up to him. Do you do role play? Do you offer situations and discuss options? How do you address that particular issue? I had a student several years ago, a young man who had Down syndrome, very high functioning, very verbal, had a lot of control issues and a lot of social impact. And for him, he really, really wanted to play with kids on the playground, but he had a hard time with it. So we sat down and we kind of came up with some ideas together about what he enjoyed, um, what his goal was. You know, did you want to play with one person? Did you want to play in a group? Did you want to play a sport? And we came up with an idea um, to bring out how to toss across. It's a beanbag toss game. And he was only allowed to bring it out on the playground. And then he could invite three or four friends to come and play. And he had to explain the rules of the game and how you played. So it really kind of gave him a buy-in because it was a novel activity. The other kids were interested and it had a finite timeline. You could play for five or 10 minutes. He kind of got to be the leader 
and it engaged other kids. And then after a while, we were able to fade it out and he could generalize to other games that he could play. But I think for it to be successful, you have to know what their goal is. For some kids, one friend is plenty. More than that's going to overwhelm them. And then I do use a lot of YouTube videos of what does it look like to play hopscotch or four square or double dutch jump rope on the playground because if they can visualize it, I think we can practice and get ready to go into those less structured settings with a lot less anxiety. But it's not a once and done. And I think that's the hard thing with social language is that people want it to be fixed quickly. And it is a slow cooker, not a microwave process. It takes a long time. That's a great analogy. All right, Heidi, this is great. You're offering amazing information. Let's shift gears a bit and talk about actually applying this in the classroom in uh, the core, what's going on academically. Okay. Um, thank you for this opportunity. I think this is a conversation we have a lot with parents and teachers and administrators of social language is great, but how does this apply in the classroom? If you think about a classroom setting from our itty bitties all the way through high school and beyond, you really have to be able to regulate yourself socially to be successful academically. And there are so many social concepts that are already embedded in our core, as we talked about before. Um, but to help our, our students, I think it's also teaching the teachers. So to give our kids the opportunity, hey, I'm going to call on you in five minutes to ask you this question reduces anxiety, gives our kids time to process and get ready to respond. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of my middle school and high school students really struggled with presentations in class, particularly when they had to work in a team that was difficult for them. So I've had some wonderful teachers say, you know, be part of the team to prepare the materials. But if you want to record your presentation on an iPhone or an iPad and email it to me, I will count that as credit. So I think if we can help our teachers be more flexible and accommodating our students, I just think it makes for a win for everybody. I really do. I think our kids can demonstrate what they know and they know a lot if we can help support them socially. Let's get specific here and you can go any direction that you want to. In your therapy, sure. you have mentioned social stories. You have mentioned using videos. Yes. I don't know as if you mentioned role play. I did that. But what materials can you suggest for us or other ideas in therapy that fits to specific areas of social language issues? Absolutely. Um, and I think it's important to talk about too, the, the cost of therapy materials. That's, you know, hard to figure in a budget to add more materials, but there are so many great free options for us. Oh, good. And if you're not utilizing your library, you are missing out because I, Love to pull books either thematically of whatever the classroom's addressing time of year, or I love Julia Cook's books that she writes to address different social topics. She was a school counselor who went back and wrote this whole series of fantastic books. My Mouth is a Volcano is one of my favorite. And it addresses amazing social concepts. There are a lot of free activities on Pinterest that align with her books. And you can really pull apart a lot of the social behaviors that you're seeing through books and activities that are free. So I would highly recommend that. Okay. I'm going to look up Julia Cook. It's just C-O-O-K. Yes. She's got about a thousand titles. <laughs> there we go. My story about using my social filter. Yes. Or not. Yes. Ooh. But it's not my fault. Ooh, being responsible. Mm -hmm. That rule doesn't apply to me. Yes. There's another one for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I could share this with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking my children, but that will work too. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> okay, so do you read these books with the kids? Do you read the whole thing and then talk about it? Do you read part of it? Do you, you know, obviously if a child is older, he or she could read it. How do you avail yourself of the information in these books? 
Yes. So I would always say preview first because you don't want to get into a conversation and not be prepared. Right. So <laughs> preview the books. And then um, typically what I'll do is I'll unpack the book over a week or two with my students. We'll uh-huh. just do a little bit at a time. Um, mm-hmm. I love using sticky note um, bubbles. They make talk bubbles and sticky note packs. So we'll go and we'll change the dialogue in the story to maybe fit the student a little more closely. Uh-huh. Um, or if it is a one size fits all topic, like having no social filter, we can use the story as is. And then I'll research on Pinterest and um, even her website has a lot of free activities that align with her stories that I absolutely love. And then um, I just, I feel like you can take it as deep or as surface as you need to, depending on the student. Plus many of these topics are great for our general ed students too. Right. It's not just our kids on IEPs that need these soft social skills. They all do. Boy, that's so true. Okay. Um, since I was on Amazon, <laughs> I put in talk bubble sticky notes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it has a bunch of talk bubbles here with this that are sticky notes that are very cool, like for around $8. I love it. Yes. Um, how do you use them? What do you do? Um, I'll use them in wordless books or um, very simple worded books like uh, Pigeon, the Pigeon series by Mo Willems. And we'll just put in our own dialogue that's applicable. So if it's a wordless book, we can make up conversation topics between two characters and add a connecting comment and add a connecting question and talk about what their feelings might be based on the clues in the picture. You can use books for a million social skills. It's one of my favorite things to use. Totally fun. Yes. Okay. And I'm, I mean, we're on a roll here, right? Yes. And I looked up Mo Willems. Yes. It's um, M-O. And then Willems is W-I-L-L-E-M-S. Correct. And it looks like they are books like in a in a box. There's a whole set. Oh, wait. That's 118. Okay. I'm not doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Okay. An elephant and piggy biggie. Elephant and piggy are fantastic. Oh, it's just cute. Okay. All right. Oh, gosh. You know, I just want to buy them all. I love I books. Don't you love books? I mean, well, truly. Have you been on Scholastic.com? Not for a while, but yes. They have great clearance books, too, oh, that you can they? find a lot of these. Cool. Oh, we'll have to go there. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, so books, going to the library or going to Amazon. Okay. Going to Amazon, yeah. I talked to our media specialist, and she's been awesome about ordering books that we want that we don't have in. Love it. So it's worth having a conversation. Have them you know, help you. Yes, take her to lunch. <laughs> or him. Yes. yes. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Well, and we, we've even written PTA grants, mini grants for materials too, that funded a lot of our social media library. Good idea. Wow. You know how to do that, huh? We've been working hard for a long time. <laughs> yes. I love that because I know that there's specialty language and how you format it and everything. That's great. Good for you. Okay. So what other materials or things can you suggest or, or even other books, you know, take it sure. away, whatever you want to do here to share with us. Um, for my older students, I really like Peter Brown. He has a lot of books that have social language concepts. You Will Be My Friend is one of my favorites. Okay. My Teacher is Not a Monster is another favorite. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, great illustrations, great stories. You can really tease out a lot of social components in it. It's fabulous. Um as far as other therapists that I follow for their materials that I really like, yes, um, there is a woman. Her name is Daria O'Brien, and her store is Speech Paths, P-A-T-H-S. Okay. And she has fantastic social language materials that I use often. All right. And then I know that you also have some materials on your smartmouthslp.com. I know this is kind of, you know, maybe ending up as a commercial, but I don't mean it to be. <laughs> and then also on uh, Teachers Pay Teachers and Pinterest. What what do you have there that we can can glean? Uh, well, my actually my whole store, my whole Teachers Pay Teachers store is social language because I'm that crazy SLP. That is my love. Yes. Um, but I have materials from very young students through high school students. Uh, one of my bestsellers is helping kids understand sarcasm. My middle school and high school students have struggled with that. And when I went to look for materials, there wasn't really anything out there. So I made my own and it's 
done really, really well because I think it filled a niche that wasn't there. And we don't really think about teaching that specific a skill, but think about literature as our kids get older. Think about watching TV and movies. There's so much that our kids miss if they don't know how to read what sarcasm is and isn't. And they get themselves in a lot of trouble using it the wrong way or at the wrong time or with the wrong people if they don't understand it. So that's kind of how a lot of the products in my store got developed that I found a need and I just couldn't find what I needed. Yes. Oh, sarcasm is huge. And I'm sure that a lot of of our social kids, social language kids have difficulty interpreting and may look at it as literal. Yes. And oh, yeah. And then it goes downhill from there. Yes, it does. And, And for my older students, I love using clips from the Big Bang Theory because Sheldon touches on so many of these concepts that are tricky for my kids in a very um, relatable and a very compassionate and a very funny way. So I think it's just a really nice teaching tool to have that. Oh, great idea. So you just go to YouTube. Go to YouTube. And preview. just search out. <laughs> preview yeah, first. Preview, <laughs> preview, preview. And then play it. Yes. And now, how do you address it? Do you do you watch the child's re- reaction to see if maybe they're getting it or not getting it? Do you stop the video and talk about it and say, what do you think he meant? What could he have said? What was, you know, how, how do you use that video? Right. Well, I think there's a couple different ways depending on where I am in therapy and how old the child is. For my younger students, I use a lot of Pixar um, shorts and I'll also use commercials. Super Bowl commercials are fantastic for social therapy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. We'll watch and I'll pause it during the first viewing of it and have my kids make predictions. What do you think is going to happen? What clues told you that? How are the people in the the movie feeling or what do you think they're thinking? Really kind of teasing out all those social pieces and then we'll play it all the way through and see how their predictions ran. Then we can go back and look at it again and see, well, if they did something unexpected, how do you think that made someone else feel? What choice could they make differently next time? And you can really use these videos and movie clips and TV show clips for weeks of therapy for free. And it really is a wonderful tool. Sure. Well, they could watch it at home. Yep. Talk about what they've learned. Sure. Yes. Well, and I encourage my kids too to make their own. Once we've taught a concept, for example, um, I love Michelle Garcia Winner's idea of thinking with your eyes, just really kind of reading a room to make sure you're not missing cues, to have our kids make a video to teach other kids how to do it. That really is a great way for me to assess, did you get it or did you not get it? Wow. Do you have other things before we move on here, other materials or ideas you'd like to share? Um, I really like, uh, for another few people, I love Superpower Speech. She's got some great informal social language assessments online. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, I love putting words in your mouth. Mia McDaniel has some um, wonderful early social language emotional skills and materials that are wonderful too. Great. Well, I love it. Let's shift gears and let's go back to that uh, social media piece. What is your interpretation there? Sure. Can we do anything differently? What's happening with social media and our kids and and their social interaction? Well, I'm an older therapist. I've been practicing for a long time. So I was doing therapy and raising my children before iPads and iPhones. And and it was different. It definitely is different. Now, I think technology is a wonderful tool and it allows us to do amazing things that we were never able to do before. But I think it's isolating our society socially. And I see it with families out at dinner, they're all on their cell phones or tablets. They're not talking to each other. They're not looking at each other. They're not conversing with each other from itty bitties, babies on up. And as a side note, a friend of mine just became a grandma and she was looking online to see, um, to find apps for her daughter to look up something with pediatricians. And instead it came up with apps for babies to watch on an iPad that could clip onto their car seat. And we were horrified Yes, for many different reasons. But I feel like we've just got to have a balance like anything else. We can't be 
completely hooked into technology and disconnected from people. And we've, we've got to find a balance because I think we're losing some of those critical social skills that we need to be successful human beings to build community. It, it doesn't exist the same online as it does in person. And I think I think we're being sold a bill of goods if we believe otherwise. And yes. I think we're going to see more kids developing social language impairments and weaknesses because of technology if we're not careful. Yes. As well as executive function issues. Yes. Yeah. There's a, yes. a myriad of things that are being impacted when I'm going to say when there's an overuse or a misuse. If a parent of a three-year-old is sitting and reading a book on an iPad and interacting, then that kind of suffices in the same way that a hardcover book would. I mean, there, you know, you miss out on page turning and you know, those kinds of things, but still they're getting that language interaction. But if a parent hands them the iPad and says here, you know, for an hour and a half, or what I've seen like on, on plane rides, you know, going all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast and you're looking at a five hour plane ride and, you know, the 18 month old is sitting there playing the entire time. That's a little over the top. Mm -hmm. Another area that I've kind of seen that's kind of my thing and parents do not mean to do this. I mean, oh my God, none of this is intentional. It's just we've all kind of been blindsided with these wonderful instruments and, you know, we all love them. And, you know, I love my iPad and iPhone and computer and so on. That isn't the issue. But I think sometimes, and I'd like you to weigh in on this, sometimes when the parent, you know, or the caregiver is actually absorbed with their touchscreen device, it can take away from the social interaction and seed planting, language seed planting with that child. Do you agree? I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Because I think those nonverbal skills that are so critical for language development, the eye contact, the physical proximity, the mirroring emotions... If you're not connected with your child, you're missing out on modeling that and you're missing on being able to teach and reciprocate that with your baby babies. Yes, it's an issue. And I think we have to, as, as a society, we have to address it. And, you know, there are common sense media, you know, places like that. And that is a website, commonsensemedia.com, I believe. I'm on their mailing list. I get their wonderful emails, you know, every once in a while. But they have a lot of really good suggestions and they do surveys, um, I think every year to every other year to kind of see how we're doing, okay, as a society. And, uh, you know, honestly, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Probably things aren't going to change anytime soon, but, you know, we can talk with our parents about it and kind of interact with them and see where they are at and, you know, maybe just offer some you know, suggestions and maybe things that we've seen other parents do and so on. So maybe we can make a small impact along the way. Absolutely. Well, and I'm, I have been a longtime proponent of the Hannon program yes. just because I love the owling, the observe, wait and listen, how they really kind of help parents learn how to interact and grow language with their kids. And I think this generation could absolutely benefit from seeing that simple, simple is good. Simple is great. It's going to connect you with your child and with the world. And that's such a powerful tool. Definitely. I totally agree. Okay. All right. Let's, let's get into something else here. Keeping data, yeah. <laughs> data collection. Social language is such a conversational, you know, in some ways, abstract, interactive thing. What do you do? How do you, how can you tell if the child is actually improving? And, you know, I mean, you talk with the parents and talk with the teachers, but, you know, how do you document this? Right. Uh, it's definitely more nebulous than, say, articulation um, collection, which is, it's not a bad thing. It's just a different mindset. Yes. So for me, for a lot of my students, I'll create rubrics of different skills that we're working on. Ah. And that way it'll let me know how often something is happening and how, how accurate or successful they are with that skill. And that kind of gives me a grid to work within. It's not a plus minus. It's really more of a spectrum of abilities. So I use rubrics a lot with my students. Um, I'll video some of my kids during our session, and then I'll review it with them. Um, I had a student 
several years ago who was in a, a classroom for students with significant emotional and behavioral disorders. And the student would often cheat during games and upset their friends and flip the game board when they didn't win. So we videotaped a session and we had to watch that session, I think, 13 or 14 times before the student would say, yeah, that that's what I did. Wow. That's what I did. So I think a combination of video, of rubrics, of parent report, teacher report, the student self-report um, are all great tools to give you feedback on how the student's doing. And observation, going in, seeing how they're doing in the classroom, watching them in the hallways. Are they able to generalize the skills you've been working on? I think that's the best way for me to collect the the information on the student. Um, I don't take hard, and I probably shouldn't say this out loud. I don't take hard data every single session, but I do try to hit it every other week, at least with my students, because we're working on several goals. Yes. Well, I don't see how we can take data every week. I mean, honestly, with any disorder, with any child, because somewhere along the line, you need to do therapy and give them an opportunity to improve. So I, I'm not in every <laughs> session type person. I'm more hands-on and child-focused. And then, you know, every two to three weeks, you know, collect some data and see how it worked. Absolutely. But yeah. All of that's very good information. As far as the rubrics, mm -hmm. do you have any examples of that perhaps on any of your sites, the Smart Mouth SLP or Teachers Pay Teachers or Pinterest? I do. I have um, a school packet that I have in my Teachers Pay Teachers store that has a series of rubrics in there. And then I also have um, a series of products for group work activities that have built-in rubrics and data collection with it that y'all are welcome to look at. I also use a lot from the Social Thinking website. She has multiple articles and examples of how to develop rubrics um, for different therapy goals that are available for free that you can look at online. Oh, very good. When you're talking with parents, and I know a lot of times parents have expectations for their child in the classroom and school for what you're doing with them. How do you talk with your parents about all that? Well, um, I think first thing is to make sure the parent knows they're part of the team and that everybody is working for the best outcome for the child. I just think that sets the tone for a good experience all the way around. Um, one thing that I do have a little bit of a caveat that I, I talk to a lot of my families about is sometimes they'll come to the table and say, I want my child to have friends. I, I want you to help them have friends. And that is a really tricky <laughs> skill to work on because it's such a high level social expectation when we've got to work on so many foundations before that. And not only that, it's tricky because the school day is so rigorous from kindergarten on up. There's not really a lot of time to support that um, natural, organic development of friendships at school. And I truly feel that the family needs to support that from the outside of the school as well. It can't just be the school's responsibility to build friendships for their child. It's great if it happens, but that can't be the driving goal for the team in school. We can support it, but that can't be the, the be all end all. Yes, that makes total sense. Oh, wow. You are a wealth of information. Yeah, <laughs> this you. has been great. Uh, Heidi, I do have one last question, and it is not about social language. It's probably more about something in regards to you and how your opinion about something. Here is the question. What advice do you have for today's therapist? Well, I think... What's important to me to share from being in this field for so long and being able to mentor um, clinical fellows and people new to our field is that trust, trust yourself, trust your heart, get to know your students and seek out the people around you to build your community of speech. Because especially if you're the only therapist in your building, that can be a really lonely and scary road particularly when you're starting out in the field. So if you can build a community of people to support you, bounce ideas off of, there's some great Facebook groups for SLPs that are um, available for you to join. You can find people in your community, your cohorts you graduated with. Just you don't have to go this alone. There's so many smart, wonderful, um, giving, caring professionals in our field, luckily, that I think it'll be easy to do. You just need to 
give yourself permission to reach out. And I think that that's the best advice I could give anybody coming into the field as an SLP today. Yes. Network. Yes. Keep learning. Yes. Mm -hmm. Keep learning. Keep growing. Nobody expects a new therapist to know it all. And a lot of it is on the job trading. It is. And you'll, you'll say things and experience things that you thought you would never a say, like stop licking the table and, (laughs) and dealing with whatever issue is going to come up during the day. But if you can keep your sense of humor intact and have that community around you, you will be fine. And remember, even those of us who've been in the field forever, we don't know everything. We're still learning constantly. So don't set that expectation because no, none of us are there. (laughs) Oh, Boy, isn't that the truth? You know, honestly, I'm, you know, on the other side of 40 years and I am learning every day. You know, I'm learning, yes, from what I read. I'm in journal articles, I'm in books, I'm online, but I learn from my kids. And I think we have to stay open to that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's about our kids. It's not about, it's not about me. I mean, I need to stay focused on that child and learn from that child. And then I can shape my behaviors to help the child. So it's all about our kids. Absolutely. I agree. Well, this has been an amazing journey. The time has gone by so quickly. I just appreciate everything that you have shared. And I'm just enthralled with you and what you're doing. I would love to to observe you as a therapist. I bet you are just, you know, amazing with the kids and the teachers. So I really want to thank you for doing this. And perhaps in a few months, you could come back and share some more with us. I would love to do that. And thank you for this opportunity. I will um, talk about social language gladly all day long. (laughs) (laughs) I know you would, and I would listen. Thank you so much. Take care, Heidi. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Hey, busy SLP, Char Beauchart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at charbochart.com. It's free. Learn our tech and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it at charbochart.com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvoshart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless.